Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. It's Jennifer Carroll. It is Monday, October 5th, and it's weird to not be all caught up in the trial and everything. It's I got to say it's weird, but I did buy a green screen, which is why I'm able to join you from this beautiful cafe. And if you are listening to this on audio, I'll try to provide for you the um, cinematic efforts I've put in to make this just uh, an adorable podcast. Actually, no, I'm just, today's podcast is going to be catching you up on a bunch of stuff. So that's all I'm trying to do here. But I found this picture, which apparently is from The Young and the Restless. So I guess I'm sitting at the cafe in The Young and the Restless, close to the floor. I should have got the one from Frasier. I love that. Um, I love that coffee shop on Frasier. But this looked nice, Crimson Light. So I'm I'm in this, I'm on the set of um, The Young and the Restless. I'm going to go grab some tea off the counter there. Uh, but I wanted to catch you up on what's going on. I'm going to do my best to get a podcast out every Monday and Thursday, although I might have some hiccups. I'm trying to line up interviews and they're all over the place. So bear with me. It's going to be as unconventional as always. But I, I'm going to end with something today that's in, in, impressive and interesting because it is actually associated with the case and it, it has a lot to do with what's going on in California and elections. So I'm going to share that with you. Um, in just a minute. But let me take you back on a couple, uh, update a couple things that have been happening behind the scenes. Uh, the first thing, of course, is has to do with Chris Pedretti's group. So I had an opportunity on, I'm switching the slide now, this is her Facebook group, Sexual Assault Survivors, It's Time to Tell Your Story. If you have looked for this group, I believe at jcarroll.com or thelawyersdaughter.com, I have a persistent link there to the Facebook group because it's kind of hard to find for some reason, but it has the picture of the sunflowers and that's what you need to remember. Um, or you can just message me on Twitter or somewhere, Facebook. I've got, I post the stuff to Facebook too, and I'll put it up there as well. But you can just message me and I'll make sure you get a link to the page. But if you are a sexual assault survivor, or if you know someone who is, who doesn't know what to do, they've been quiet, they've been keeping the secret, this is your chance. <clears throat> what Chris is doing here in this group is amazing. They are up to 422 members. That might sound like a mob to you, but a lot of lurkers, because that's how this stuff works at first, if you can imagine. You start off as a lurker because you're trying to figure out if this is safe, if it's something you want to do, if you want to share. Everything shared here is um, the ground rules are you're not allowed to come to this to the share site and steal anybody's information or share, steal their stories. So this is not a place for the um, special victims unit writers to hang out looking at you, special victim unit writers. Uh, but it is a place where you can start to hear other people tell their stories, get support, start to test your voice. And that, you know, we're actually meeting one of the survivors is coming out to California next week. No, this week. Oh my God, it's this week. I'm going up to meet Chris and Gay, and we're going to sit with one of the survivors of sexual assault, not from the case. This is someone from this group who is struggling is in a situation where they can't afford a lot of help right now. And they feel like if they can come out and maybe get, um, they're kind of getting a mega dose of us, which is, this is kind of an exception, not the rule. We're not prepared to do this in a formal way yet. <clears throat> Although I know this is something Chris wants to do with a nonprofit. And she and I are going to be getting together in a couple of weeks somewhere privately to discuss this and hash this idea out. So then we can start to float it out and see if we can find support for the idea. But um, so this is a test case next this week, but it's still important and this work is important and I have already met some amazing folks in this group. So if you know someone or if it's you 
I would like to invite you to come and you absolutely can lurk or you can share or you can provide comments or ask questions or whatever you need. There are people in all phases of healing, which is uh, essentially, I think probably the biggest value in this group where some folks are feeling like, hey, I feel pretty good. I still have those days, but I feel pretty good about how things are going for me. And I'm here to share some of my insight and what I've learned. There are playlists for motivations in here. There are books in here. And Chris supervises this group. This is her group. So you will have access to Chris and Gay is in here. Um, a number of the survivors actually are in this group. So I just want to bring this back up to bubble it back up because I think it's a good place to start. And the and we I was saying Chris and I did this interview this weekend, and what uh, we realized, or I guess we did it Friday night, late Friday night, lasted forever. But it was an interesting interview because in talking to the reporter, we were both on the line, kind of talking to each other and with the reporter. But we realized that um, there's there's so much more work to be done, and that that, uh, sorry, I have my thought, that this thing is, this is such a process. And what has been so important to us as we were talking to the reporter, what's been so important to us in this process is the community and support we got with one another as the victims came together. Anybody who's been following me for a long time knows my biggest holy crap moment in all of this was when we were finally in a position to, um, <clears throat> see meet one another and hang out in Chris's backyard and have those time and hang out at Carol Daly's house and have that time with other survivors. So it doesn't have to be the same crime is what I'm saying. It just it, there's so much to be gained from affiliation. So I just want to put that out there and remind you that it's still available and it's still happening. So please come join us if you would like. And uh, like I said, you can watch and all you have to do is answer a couple questions and agree to the rules, which is essentially it's private. We're trying to keep people's privacy protected and giving them a place to talk about their perpetrator and what happened to them and what it is they, what it is they need, what do they want from all of us. Okay, that's the big announcement for that one to remind you, put that back at the top of the list. The next thing is that something that I, um, I feel pretty passionate about, although we're at an awkward place where I have to put in a bit more work. So let me tell you what's going on. So these are the missing cases of Joseph James D'Angelo. We know he kept criming. We know he did crimes that he hasn't been convicted of. We have Paul Holes on some recording somewhere, I don't know where, had said that we don't even begin to know all the crimes that Joseph D'Angelo committed. But for many women, they know that they were hurt by him and they want to pursue their attack and pursue with with the with law enforcement pursue why their case was not pursued why their case was uh available but not charged lots of open questions and and we and we uh, lots of us other folks want to understand did you have a run-in and can we capture that? Because the police have said no, but it just doesn't sit right with you for some reason. So up to 28 members, this is a, a fiercely private group. Um, reporters have wanted to get into it, but what's happening in this group is not really a support. This is not a group for support. This is a group for fact-finding and trying to get to the bottom of things. And, and I'll show you in just a second where it's headed, but I want again, put it out there. If you know somebody who feels like they were, uh, affected or visited or in any way run into someone that uh, someone that has had an experience with Joseph D'Angelo. I want to make sure that you know that this group exists and I think I'm the admin for this one. 
Uh, and again, these are not, not a place to come in and steal people's stories. This is not what we're trying to do here. What we're really trying to do is give each other advice, legal advice, um, propping one another up, telling people where to go look for their police report, telling people how to pursue this whole thing. So that's the missing cases of JJD. And um, I need to get links up about this one. I'll, I'll make sure I go pin something or put something up um, on my Facebook page as well. So you can find it if that applies to you. What will be interesting for those of you who aren't part of this group, but are still very, very concerned about what's going on and what else he did, is that then it's going to morph into something pretty cool. And I'm going to get killed for sharing this with you because it's just in testing right now. But I really want to share it because it's pretty cool. So I'm, I'm loving this green screen, by the way. This is awesome. Okay, so <clears throat> Sorry, I'm trying to do PowerPoint like regular, but it's different with Zoom. So here is a draft of a website that's coming together. And this is to essentially start to visualize the data. So Jen, you talk about this all the time. Why is visualizing the data so important? Well, it really helps you understand, depending on how you visualize it, it helps you understand clusters. It helps you understand frequencies. It helps you, um, sometimes that you can what you can see is so much more impactful than what you could read. So for example, somebody says, um, how many times the Visalia ransacker ransacked? Well, it was a lot. And what is interesting in this site, and I'm not showing the live site because it's not live, but I'm just showing you a few pictures here, is that just Visalia ransackers cases here, they go on forever. So I suspect we're going to have a lot of peeping Tom cases start to crop up as people come forward with their missing experience. And what I'm hoping to do, um, thanks to this very kind volunteer who's put this together, is I am hoping to be able to add the suspected cases to this list. Now, the way this is organized is very cool. And this is, again, still preliminary, but you'll see that there's a legend essentially tracking where D'Angelo was in his life. The early years, his time in the Navy, his time in college, and then on with the Roseville Police Department. He was an intern there, then working for the Exeter Police Department. Then he goes down, then he goes on north. So that's Roseville is north, and then he goes down to Exeter Police Department, and then he comes back to the Auburn Police Department. So that is three different roles in a in three different police departments, which I think is interesting. I don't know that I even understood he was in three. When we know that he was one of the reasons that they thought maybe he had tagged Lyman and Charlene, my dad and my stepmom, is that he had access to police um, databases so he could run plates and things. Well, they, the, they being prosecutors or law enforcement, thought he must have still had a contact at a police department who was giving him access. This is important, and I don't know who that was, and that, of course, is, a, is, a, is an accomplice, which means they're probably being very, very quiet, or maybe they're dead, who knows. But that I didn't realize there were three police departments. So we have Roseville PD, Exeter PD, and then the Auburn Police Department, which is up in the foothills here. Then he's between careers. That's when he does his original Night Stalker phase. And then he starts working for Save Mart. So, and as a mechanic, I think you guys know that. I think it was a nighttime mechanic or early morning mechanic. So what's interesting about the way this page is laid out and as we start to visualize the data is that you can track his existence by dates down uh, the left with the color bar. And again, this is still a comp. It's still getting all worked out. But then you list the crimes as they happen with the date, the location, what was it that happened, prowler, burglary, in this case, these are Visalia ransacker cases showing right now on the screen, and then if there's possible, a small description. These 
I'm going to work with the folks in the missing cases to get all of these documented similarly so we can start to see them. You can see that these are still intended to be kept anonymous. I'll have a cross-reference index that I'll keep private for anybody that's interested in actually moving through this in a law enforcement way. But <clears throat> for the public, we'll keep people's names out of it because you don't need to know the names unless they are um, have admitted to it, have gone public. That's really been the litmus test here. So it's super interesting because this starts off, so the timeline starts off with, um, in May 73, with the first Visalia ransacked case, which was essentially a Prowler case. There could be more. There could be more that are earlier. That's, we haven't really put that together yet. That's our job. And I mean, our job, our crowdsourcing job. So that's all of us talking to one another and saying, hey, we need to get this on the list. Then as you go, I went just a little deeper because it's so interesting to me, again, keeping the legend in mind. In this case, this is when D'Angelo was interning with the Roseville, actually, it's not accurate, so don't worry about it. This is still just a comp. It's not really accurate. I, those of you who know this stuff, like the back of your hand, are going to argue with me right now, and you'll be right because it's not accurate. But you'll see what happens here is that as the time goes on, you start to see cases to, in, to which he's admitted. In this case, this is Jane Carson Sandler's case. And you find out that she was 29 and her three-year-old son was also in the house. So you start to um, see these things play out as admitted. And then the East Area Rapist case number, not the ones used in court. They kind of screwed up our numbers. How did they not know we had a, a, a numbering system in place that we've all been following for, for years? How dare they switch those numbers, those damn lawyers? But they did. So this isn't essentially based on the court documentation of the numbers. This is how we've always understood the cases. So <clears throat> you'll see we have a Visalia round sacker number 151. 151 guys in Visalia. That's what we know. So, and that's, and we have no convictions on any of those. We have the Snellings and we have um, uh, the police officer McGowan, but that's it. That's it. And we know we have a lot of devastation in Visalia and Exeter areas. So anyway, this is an important timeline because then if you think, well, my incident with him was on October 18th in 1976 and it was in Carmichael. Well, we have him from 11 to 1130 in, in, on October 18th in Los Palos Drive's uh, Rancho Cordova. So could he have been in Carmichael? Sure, he could have been in Carmichael. Rancho Cordova and Carmichael are not that far apart. What time in Carmichael? Earlier in the evening? Later in the next morning? When was it really? So you'll, I think you can understand, you'll start to see how we can um, figure out if the, the case that somebody is, is saying is true fits the timeline or if there's space for it in the timeline. You can't really do that until you start to have a way to look at this in a, in a, in a brief visual way. Uh, the last thing that will be super, oh, sorry, I have one more photograph just in case you want to see that. We have Mary Berwick on there as the as the last rape in Walnut Creek, comes down to, to Danville, makes another rape, and then he moves south down to the original Night Stalker activities. And of course, this is when he's not working anymore as a police officer. Uh, stops in 79, July 5th in 79, it, up in Dan, uh, Danville, which of course is Bay Area. It's not really Sacramento anymore. He's moved down to the Bay Area at this point. And then you see him show up in Goleta, where he is uh, 
attempts murder and then unfortunately gets to Manning. The Offerman Manning murders are next and then Dad and Charlene in 1980. So you can see this movement. It's it's actually fascinating to me because he's going from Goleta, which is by Santa Barbara, to Ventura, all the way down to Dana Point, which is quite a ways down south, hits Irvine, comes back up to Goleta. Why? I don't know why. Why would he come back for Sherry Domingo and Greg? I have no idea. And then back down to Irvine. So there's a lot. I know we have some rapes that are mapped to this time as well, where the women feel like they got away, you know, that he, they could have been dead, but they got away. Be very interesting to start to see those rapes mapped to these timelines as well. So that's what's going on behind the scenes, building out this big map, and then we'll start to get suspected or uh, missing, suspected probably is what we'll put in. And then what you can't see on audio, but I'll tell you for those of you that are on audio, what we want to do then is create a map so you can start to map the occurrences. And this is a map I just stole from Sacramento Crime. There's something called the Sacramento Crime Map. If you didn't know that, there is. And it's very interesting because they use graphics to help describe the crimes. The red dots are shootings that fist image that's kind of a weird creepy fist is um our assaults and then we have question marks on here meaning things that are still being pursued and then there's a spray can that's for vandalism i i at first thought oh no there they are getting sprayed by um that's how bad it is oh my god they're pepper spraying someone that's what i thought welcome to 2020 but it's actually uh, a spray can of like like you're painting like spray paint Okay, so I'm gonna I'm I'm looking over to my computer because there's something I'm gonna tell you about now. So that's what this is about. That's the um that's what the timeline's gonna be, and that's why those missing cases are so important. And I ask you to encourage people you know that have said, ah, I feel like I have something, just just have them join the group, let us know, and I'll start to go through. I'm gonna do like manual reporting, like call people up or talk to them on the phone, uh old-fashioned way to do a little um Sheila, their work here on making sure I've got everything I need for these missing cases so we can start to put them in the timeline, which I think will make people feel very validated when we feel like we've got a missing case. It's also going to show that we probably have a lot more criming than we currently have. And what we have already is a ton, which is disgusting to me. All right. So two more, two, bit, one more thing, two more slides. The thing I wanted to tell you about, which is really interesting, especially for those of you not in California, is that we have a ballot initiative coming up uh, on the November ballot. I don't know if you know this, but there's an election that's going to be happening soon. Anyway, we have sarcasm, Jen, much. Anyway, on the California ballot, Prop 20 is interesting. So so California is, you know, we, they say we're the land of fruit and nuts. We, we are a little bit fruity and nutty. And what we try things, the, the, the initiative process has has um, not necessarily always been the best thing for California. My mom worked at the Attorney General's office in initiatives. So she knows the dark and underbelly of initiatives. In some cases, laws get proposed that haven't been tested by the courts, so they may not even be able to happen. They, it can be really expensive. It's expensive to get your initiative on the ballot because you have to get enough signatures and those have to be legitimate signatures. And it makes for varying annoying times of the year when all those petition signers are asking you to sign petitions outside of grocery stores. That's got to really have actually been screwed up because of COVID. Hadn't even thought of that. That's really changed the process, I bet. So we would usually get accosted. You go to a grocery store during a certain season when it's initiative season, which must be 
uh, right after it must be January because you've got to really hustle to get those signatures in to get it on the ballot. And normally there are people there that are accosting you before you walk in the store asking you to sign a petition. And it's interesting, me personally, I've actually pulled back from signing petitions because I feel like this is a too easy way now to make a law that really hasn't been vetted or that well thought through. And it's really the agenda of a special interest to get the law on the ballot. So I tend to now avoid signing any initiative referendums with a few exceptions. I'm gonna save the otters. I'm always gonna sign the proposition that's there to save the otters. So anyway, the. Uh, prop one we've had okay so we've had some weird propositions lately that have uh mucked with our laws and again i feel like california is the state that's willing to try things so i have some patience for it but we passed one that made crimes under a thousand dollars i should have done my homework on this one but it's it's a very it's, it's not a very high watermark it's like a thousand dollars but if you think about it it's the crap from your car it's the shoplifting of the alcohol that leaves the store they all of those things were essentially decriminalized they weren't decriminalized it's still wrong to steal it's still a crime to steal somebody's stuff from their car but the police don't have to pursue it anymore is what we did we just turned them into meh crimes because it's too expensive to pursue. There's not enough people to pursue them. They're basically property crimes. They're not violent crimes, they're property crimes. And so we tried this thing that said, fine, fine, we get it. You can't chase them. We can't convict them. It's a hot mess. And it kind of is the drug culture, everything that's going on, poverty. There's some weird things that are, are this is the product of those things. And that's a way bigger conversation than I can have. But because of that, what happens in California is we tend to do this pendulum swing. And you know, there's even theories about this pendulum theory, which says we go one way and then we come back and go the other way. All of a, all, all in all, it's a way of our culture kind of somehow trying to be in the center. And we do it by the pendulum swinging. If anything, I think we're probably at a time in this country where we really need to get back to the damn middle because we're tired of swinging. We just want to hang out in the middle, be quiet, and kill the virus. How's that? How's there's your political belief? I'm done. I'm exhausted. So what we're seeing in California is some changes to the laws, and one of them has to be about it happens to be about DNA. And this initiative Prop 20 would it, it does a couple things, but one of the things it would do is reinstate the list of crimes for which a perpetrator's DNA is collected. With supporters citing the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo's capture as a prime example of why a robust DNA database is important to crime fighting. Now, I will take argue, I will argue with this because the because we didn't catch D'Angelo because we collected a ton of DNA. That's really important because for those of us that have issues, and I am one, the issues with privacy and our right to privacy and the fear of our DNA being in a database somewhere where people can get our, our DNA, guys, it's our DNA. I don't think that the um, net should be spread too wide. It's funny, but I absolutely can understand the value of capturing the DNA of someone who is um, arrested for a felony. If they are not guilty, that DNA should be expunged. But if they are guilty, we've got them in the system. What the, What is important about this is this DNA database they're talking about starting for Prop 20 is not how we caught D'Angelo. We didn't catch him through the DNA database. We caught him through genetic DNA. 
That's super important. If you go back and watch um, uh, Special Victims Unit, Law and Order, they did a whole story arc about this in about 2010. Uh, it's it, it's Olivia, remember Olivia is a child of rape is the story. And so um, the coroner ex explains that there is a, a modified genetic DNA test, a familial DNA test that they could run in New York in 2000. And like, I want to say it was 2010-ish is the season. I could go check that. But what they do is it only matches on four alleles. It doesn't match the whole string. It was just to get a familial DNA, which is then how she goes about finding her brother. And that leads to, of course, drama, drama, drama. But the point is that that was genetic, that was family DNA, not criminal DNA, that database that was used to catch D'Angelo. So using D'Angelo as the reason why here is not exactly an astute argument, to be perfectly honest. And the issue that we're up against is deciding then where do you draw the line on privacy? So it's funny, I went through this initiative, I was looking at what does it mean, I put together the next slide so that you can understand it's Prop 20 is criminal sentencing, parole and DNA collection initiative, and a vote yes supports the initiative to add crimes. So this is the important part, it's going to add more crimes to the list of violent felonies for which early parole is restricted. And it recategorizes certain types of theft and fraud crimes as wobblers. So this is funny. I learned a new word in all of this. There's something called a wobbler. And apparently wobbler, and that's W-O-B-B-L-E-R, wobbler, is a legal term for crimes that are either chargeable as a misdemeanor or a felony. That's a wobbler. Now you know. The more you know, I mean my little thing. Um, so it will recategorize certain types of theft and fraud crimes as wobblers and require DNA collection for certain misdemeanors. Now, um, down below, I have what those misdemeanors in include, um, such as shoplifting, grand shoplift. Okay, I want to just go a little slowly here. Shoplifting, grand theft, drug possession, along with several other crimes, including domestic violence, prostitution with the minor, and um, they all have to submit to collection of DLA samples. Now, that's a pretty wide list. And yeah, I'm liberal, so that's not a secret here. But what I'm going to suggest is that uh, it's, it's worth anybody in California looking into this. And then those of you in other states, you can see what your own states are doing. But there is a difference between going and searching a familiar DNA uh, database, which GED is open. And so that's open source. It doesn't have rules about searching it, but 23andMe does and Ancestry does. But here's what's interesting as you're, because if you are a yes vote, if you say, yeah, we got to have this, this is super important. I'm going to tell you right now that Ancestry just recently sold, and I'm going to do probably do a podcast on this because I really want to look into it deeper. But it's my understanding that it is a it has been sold to somebody outside of the United States, which means somebody outside of the United States now has a database of Americans' DNA. You need to hear that again. The DNA that you have with Ancestry, that you have registered with Ancestry, is potentially foreign-owned. That's a big deal. And that's why I'm probably going to do a whole podcast on that, because it has far, it has far um, and wide-reaching ramifications and we need to think about that. And so when I look at these kinds of initiatives, 
like Prop 20, where we could go either way. I mean, I, I'm, of course, I'm inclined to vote yes, because DNA did work for us. It was a good thing, except I have a problem with the list of crimes they want to start to include. So I take that in. A vote no, of course, opposes this initiative to add crimes. And that's all it is. So yes, you want to add these crimes in, including the wobblers. Or no, you don't want to add them in to where we collect DNA. Now, here's where I figured out that I need to know more. And I read this thing a few times because I knew I was going to talk to you about it. But the only way I could actually learn more, and the thing that was incredibly revelatory to me, is then when I got down to who's supporting it. And honestly, and I don't feel bad saying this at all, one of the creepiest men in Congress right now, Devin Nunes, is for this proposition. Honestly, I don't know how he's not in the DNA database himself. He's just not a good guy. So I see that Devin Nunes is up for this and the government entities, there's only one government entity supporting this initiative right now. And it's not going to surprise you because I still want to wring their neck. That's right. It's Orange County. Orange County's Board of Supervisors has supported this. It is, it is absolutely the most conservative part of our state. So it doesn't surprise me. But after I understand that their behavior themselves, they all have their own criminal behavior as an institution. I find it interesting that they're so willing to trade away people's privacy rights and people's personal rights in pursuit of law and order. And that's what we all have to be careful of. I'm going to tell you that we all have to be careful of it because right now it's D'Angelo. Next time it's your kid or your dad or someone you care about and you know they didn't do it. But meanwhile, their privacy is compromised. And that's how you have to be able to think of these things, both sides, all the time. When I look at who was supporting, this will not surprise you for California, who was supporting um, a vote no on Proposition 20. It includes the California Democratic Party, the Labor, California Labor Federation, the SEIU, which is our school unions, the school, uh, California State Council of School and Educators. We have the ACLU. There's a ton of people. There's hardly anybody on the pro, and there are a ton of people on the against. California Teachers Association, League of Women Voters, Next Gen California, University of California Student Association, um, and then it, it goes on. You can go take a look at this. It's called Ballotpedia, and Ballotpedia has the California Proposition 20. It's great. It presents both sides, and I always like to look at both sides when I look at a proposition so I can understand them. But it's important for us, as we have this discussion, because we've got, I, I'm convinced that D'Angelo moved to the plea so rapidly is because of DNA. We had it, DNA guilty, right? That's my trademark copyright, DNA guilty. It's a thing. I don't even know why we needed a trial. We had DNA. But on the other hand, when someone has your DNA, and it's you, and you haven't done anything terribly bad, maybe you shoplifted, do they really get to have your DNA? Is that is that really what they want to have? Is there a correlation? I guess I'll ask the bigger questions. Is there a correlation between shoplifting and rape? <laughs> there is in our case. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I shouldn't ask these uh, questions, but let's say in general, typically there isn't, and it's unfortunate that our own police missed the correlation between shoplifting and rape in our case, but it, some of these crimes, um, prostitution, what do we have? Prostitution with a minor? That's weird. That's a weird thing. Isn't that already um, rape? So I, I don't I don't understand some of these. But I think that it's up to us to decide where we draw the line on privacy and what matters most to us. And it's easy when you're older to think, ah, lock them up. But 
guys think back on your life. We all make mistakes and things happen. And when you start to give up your privacy, there could be a consequence. So that's all I'm saying. Look at both sides. Okay. That's my wrap for today. I've, I'm working on interviews, guys, with Carol Daly. Um, there are some other amazing people that I'm just, I, it's just a, hurting cats is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to hurt some cats, but I'm heading up back up to Sacramento, which will be fun. I haven't been up there in a while and now it's fall. So it's not so hot. So it should be nice, even though we're still masking up and keeping safe. I want you to stay safe and healthy. I am so happy to be talking with you again and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Lawyer's Daughter. Venture a highway in the sun.